0: Sinners, it's Monday night, the uh nineteenth of February, twenty twenty-four. This means it's time for phase seven of the Sin Every Day podcast. I'm your host, Bryce Reed. I'm watching three hundred and sixty six movies this year and this show if you uh, haven't listened before is my uh, my personal diary on the uh, the journey to reach 366 movies those of you who've been joining me all along thank you so much it's uh, been a pleasure to sit down every week and and talk about uh, the movies reflect upon the journey i think it's been an important part of the process i uh, you know even without even w- with doing this podcast uh, it has been at times difficult to recall specific details from specific movies that I watched. I'm ingesting at such a, uh, uh, voracious, uh, rate. My mind kept wanting to say wait. Uh, but, uh, I'm ingesting at such a voracious rate that I, I, I uh, uh, it's a blur, you know, all of the movies living in this uh, this blurry uh, world of uh, mixed up movies um thankfully i'm able to keep it together within the week uh but anything more than a, than a week old uh it, you know it's difficult to recall all the movies we are now here in what i believe is the 6th week of 2022 at 72 movies we are blazing a trail through this uh through this challenge I'm having the time of my life uh, reading all these things, learning all these things, watching all these things. One of the best parts, one of the most fun parts for me every week is remembering like a movie that somebody's mentioned in the past or a movie that's uh, come up because of a, a, a connection or an actor connection or whatever and being like, oh... I've never seen that. I should watch that movie and it's sort of added to a mental list in my head. I do not have as of this time like a running list of movies uh, that I want to track down, want to see or whatever. I'm just kind of keeping things in my head. But perhaps at one point I will. I've certainly recently uh, had enough people start recommending things as a um, a product of a of this show that I've considered it. Whether having a little list on my phone or carrying around a little notebook or whatever. Because um, people know that I have the show that I'm doing the challenge and they, they recommend me things. And I'm immediately like, I probably won't remember that. But uh, perhaps I will later if I'm uh, seeing what's up, you know. But I want to talk about the movies. We're three minutes in. That seems about uh time. I didn't watch a ton this week or rather I didn't get up into that like 13, 14, whatever number that some of these weeks has had. There have been a couple of days that only had one really. Um, and that's fine. It's a matter of uh, uh, timing things out. But there were enough days where, where there were two. Um, I know the 14th, the 15th and the 16th I managed to put two in um with the 17th and the and the 13th being ones that uh that that only had one really um uh, but it's like because of the way work is like it's the midnight threshold is where these things um get tallied and it's like Uh, the midnight, if the movie ends after the midnight threshold, that's when the movie gets tallied is on the, on the date that it ends on. Um, and especially with movies being somewhat broken up, although this week I didn't really break many up, um, that can kind of lead to, to some confusion in the numbers. Although again, since it's all tallied on when the movie ends, it, uh, it doesn't really, fudge the numbers all all that much um but i want to start i i I started the week with a movie called johnny dangerously uh which kept they kept throwing it at me on max they were like you like subversive 80s comedies uh or kind of slapsticky leslie nielsen type stuff and uh so they kept throwing johnny dangerously at me and i of course had heard of the movie and Michael Keaton being in the lead role is enough enough for me on uh, on just about any film because I, I God I love Michael Keaton but uh, but I, I you know I'd never sat down to watch the movie and so I was like oh, I'll do this tonight it seems light um, I thought this movie was fucking awesome <laughs> uh, Johnny Dangerously is a a uh, police squad type uh uh a uh, naked gun type um airplane type leslie nielsen type movie uh a comedy movie send up of gangster films and Michael keaton plays the lead role and i i would say the movie is closer to closer to airplane in pace. In terms of the jokes, I I think the jokes in Johnny Dangerously um, have held up better than the jokes in Airplane. There's a handful of jokes in Airplane that I'm like, this is, I don't think this is terribly funny uh, anymore. And it's not even like, I think this is offensive. It's just like, I think it's, they go on for a really long time with this joke. Um, But Johnny Dangerously, the jokes were unexpected it's not the like breakneck lightning rewind you know i missed three or four jokes while i was laughing at one kind of pace of the naked gun movies um which is so the most mind blowing and admirable thing about watching those movies is that it's gag after gag after gag after gag and here that's not really the case although uh it still very much feels like it went to the same school um and very much feels like uh, on on par with that style of comedy even if it's you know maybe the gags are spaced out a little bit more and it's always interesting to watch michael keaton and specifically like this michael keaton too because like michael this movie came out in 1984 And then Beetlejuice is like 88, I think, 87, maybe. And then Batman is 89. You know, so what a weird ramp up, (laughs) you know, and sort of like contextualizes further what kind of a bizarre choice for Batman he was at the time. Very interesting. I've seen, unfortunately, eighty nine Batman. We can't do eighty nine Batman on the show. Maybe Batman Returns. Although I feel like I've seen clips, but clips ain't the whole thing, baby. Um, I've, i I really enjoyed Johnny Dangerously. It was my Monday night movie that I watched after the podcast, and I had a great time with it. Uh, if you're looking for like a light comedy in that sort of like classic uh, breakneck visual gag sort of way. Uh, Johnny dangerously is, uh, is that movie and it's great. Early Michael Keaton. It's a blast. Uh, four stars that's over on max. I think it's still over on max. It's probably going to be on max forever. It's one of those, uh, hidden catalog comedy gems that I'm sure gets hit all the time on them. I'm sure it does surprisingly good numbers for them. Uh, (laughs) I went and bought some movies on Tuesday. Tuesday uh, during the day, I I went and bought uh, a handful of things that I wanted to watch. Mostly I wanted to get Blade Runner 2049. I unfortunately already seen original Blade Runner, so we can't do it on the show, but I hadn't seen 2049, and I heard a bunch of people making a big, uh, were saying it was actually great um and then it should be seen and so i was like oh i should watch that and i thought that it was on max and maybe it was on max for a time sort of in the leading up to dune coming out because it's the same director who did dune uh so i wanted to go get blade runner 2049 and while i was there i got a, a good deal on the man who killed hitler and the bigfoot uh maybe like $13 for the 4k steelbook, And I had avoided this movie because I assumed the title was so dumb that there's no way that the movie's going to be that good. Uh, not that I thought the movie would be dumb because I'd be down for a movie that was dumb in that way. Uh, but that I assumed that the, ter- the title would be a swerve and that they would use the movie instead to tell like a, a sad old white man story. Um I had a gut feeling or that it would be metaphorical. The man who killed Hitler and the Bigfoot like it would be like uh, not, you know. But then I read the description on the back of the th- cuz it was 13 bucks. So I read the description on the back of the steel book and it was like it was like no, he actually kills Hitler and then Bigfoot in the movie. But then I watched the movie and it's uh, they use the opportunity to tell a sad old man story instead. There's maybe in this movie nine minutes of killing Hitler and the Bigfoot combined. And the rest of the movie is Sam Elliott and his magnificent mustache being sad about a girlfriend who died. I, uh... It blew my mind that this movie had such a s- stupid title. And then was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what you really want to see is is Sam Elliott being a, being a sad, old, sad old white man. Uh, uh, fucking unreal. And I watched the like, I was so fascinated by how much I didn't like this movie. I gave it two stars, which is okay. Uh, and the reason I gave it two stars is because it, it shot competently. It looks like a movie. It doesn't even look like a TV movie until you get, I mean, some of the, the suits that they have for the Bigfoot look fucking awful, but uh, the movie more or less looks pretty good. Um, So it was okay in that regard. And I guess if you go into it, knowing that it's a movie about a white and a white guy who's sad, but also has this weird. Also, he killed Hitler and then Bigfoot, thing that happens for maybe 15 minutes of the movie, um, then maybe you'll have a good time if you go in more aware of what it is, really. But it it was written, produced, directed by the same guy, some guy I've never heard of, uh, who I assume is a Nepo baby. And he, in the, like, in the fucking special features on the movie it's like oh yeah you know i wrote the script quite a while ago and it was really hard to get funding i think you know uh, and like he he really couldn't like put his finger on like why it was so hard to get funding and i'm like i know why it was hard to get funding it's because your script is not good it never was like i that, there's no way i was so blown away by like how confused the movie was about what it was supposed to be. The tone was like dumb in some parts, but then mostly just like trying to be like a sad movie about nothing. I really, I, uh, I really feel like I was sold a a false bill of sale. It's been a long time since I did like, since I like sold a bunch of movies back, uh, but to, uh, to like a, uh, media store or whatever. And, and sort of like trimmed, uh, the collection, but this one would 100% get trimmed out. $13 was way too much for this movie. It's bad. It's really bad. You know? And he was like, Oh, I, I couldn't figure out what the script was until I, you know, like in sort of like a fit of creative inspiration, I went back to page one and I wrote the man who killed Hitler and then the Bigfoot And he was like, and now I've got it. And I was like, dude, you don't, you don't have it made a, this movie sucks. Uh, yeah. Two stars. I, I watched it on UHD Blu-ray from the, uh, from the bull moose on the 13th. But, uh, Man, never been so supremely disappointed by a title. And the sad part is, like, I knew I, I knew when it came out, I was like, there's no way th- that this movie is what it says it is. And then I was fooled by the back of the movie. And the back of the movie, to be fair, didn't lie to me. In the movie, he does kill Hitler and then the Bigfoot. And fucking Peter from Office Space is in it, too. And I'm always happy when he shows up in something. I think that's great you know but and sam elliott i fucking sam elliott rules but what a bummer dude what a bummer um but it didn't put me off watching movies for the rest of the night because i did get right into blade runner 2049 from there i was like what a bust fuck the man who killed hitler and the bigfoot but blade runner 2049 let's do it hell yeah and uh, I liked this movie a lot. I I would say I probably enjoyed watching this movie more than I enjoy watching original Blade Runner. Mostly because this movie, I, you know, by the time I got around to watching Blade Runner, it was like, oh, you can't watch that cut. You got to watch this cut. And like the cuts for Blade Runner, if you're not familiar with Blade Runner, like. there's three or four cuts to my knowledge and depending on which one you watch, the ending of the movie is different and suggests different things. Um, And some of them are uh, completely incongruous with some of the stuff that the movie has set up with the source material fans of every fan of blade runner has the cut that they think is the cut. And, uh, I find that some of that can be really, uh, daunting, you know, and, uh, in cases like that, I tend to favor going to the, the theatrical cut, because at least that has a significant historic value. Um, and then kind of going. To different cuts from there I guess I could talk about cuts for a moment <laughs> different cuts of films because um, it's uh, kind of a mixed bag specifically right now in my collection I have the Blu-ray edition of um, Tropic Thunder and the Blu-ray edition of Tropic Thunder includes only the director's cut of the movie. This drives me fucking crazy. Or maybe they call it the unrated unrated edition, whatever it is. Uh, the director's cut of Tropic Thunder is not really any longer than the original cut of Tropic Thunder. It just features different jokes. And unfortunately... Or fortunately, I mean, the theatrical cut features the best jokes. And so the the director's cut is like an alternate version that doesn't really add much, except some of the best jokes in the movies are switched out for jokes that are not as good. <laughs> you know. And so it's kind of cool to watch as like a companion piece to the original one to see where things are different. But for the most part, the things that are different are worse. If they'd been better, they would have been in the theatrical cut. Um, There wasn't really much of a pressure on it to keep it that low for them. And the, and the director's cut doesn't really add much. I have seen also the uh, not often seen or known about director's cut version of um, or extended edition rather of a crank of 2006 crank. And, uh, it's, it makes the the movie worse. It makes the movie significantly worse from the pacing. Um, it adds maybe, maybe six, seven minutes to the movie and they're weird minutes to, it really only adds one scene and the one scene that it adds just makes the movie drag. And it's like, I completely see why they cut this out because it doesn't make sense. And it drags like a motherfucker. Um I think the unrated edition of uh Saving Silverman kind of ruins the movie. But there are a lot of situations where I prefer sort of the the alternate cuts. Um you know, Lord of the Rings uh is kind of the obvious one. <laughs> um I I recently picked up that blu-ray that they put out of johnny mnemonic in black and white i think that's the better version of the film even though not much has changed other than the movie is presented in high contrast black and white and it looks amazing and it helps uh really sell some of the cinematographer cho- cinematography choices and it was initially how they wanted to release the movie before studio pressure was like we got to do it in color so it's really cool to see to see that. There, I mean, the director's cut of Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story is the better version of that movie. Um. Especially because, you know, uh it the idea of doing a director's cut on a biopic like that itself is further parody of the genre. But on top of that, it adds a bunch of stuff that's just super funny as well. Um Is there a director's cut of that? I feel like that's not a director's cut. I keep thinking Hot Fuzz, but I don't think that's a director's cut. I think the movie that is there is the movie that's there. Anyway, so many. Uh, It can go either way. Um, I think with Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner, I ended up watching the final cut. Because that's what was up on Netflix, where I believe I watched it a couple of years ago. As for Blade Runner 2049, I thought it was awesome. Like I said, I I think I had more fun with this movie than I did with Blade Runner 2049, which I feel like really dragged at some points. Whereas Blade Runner, uh, Blade Runner the original, rather, I think dragged at some points. Blade Runner 2049, I was interested as soon as it started. Like I wanted to know what was up with the characters. I wanted to understand the mystery and it took me on some swerves and stuff like that. I honestly feel like where the movie kind of falls apart is where it involves characters from uh, the original Blade Runner where it brings in Harrison Ford or whatever. I feel like if they had replaced Harrison Ford's character with just some other guy, I I I don't I think that the movie might have been slightly better for it. Always nice to see Big Dave Batista too showing up. Uh Gosling of course as always is a treasure. Um the cinematography and the direction in this movie and it's funny cuz the guy who did it again is the guy who's doing Dune. And I you know apologies to him cuz I I really didn't like Dune. But I was sitting there going, like, is this, is the thing that I don't like about, is, yeah, is the thing that I don't like about this the source material? And it's just so good for the source material that the, that the things that I find unlikable about it are just doing what it's supposed to do because it's trying to adapt this source material that is, to me, unlikable. And I talked to my friend who loves, th- uh, dune and he was like oh yeah if you've it's great either way but if you've read the books it's it's a fucking awesome movie they did such a good job with it and i was like oh okay so i like i don't think it's this director or anything like that i think he's he's making dune and i don't there were the things i don't like about it are the things that are just present in the source material um that it feels like a lore dump and that i don't give a fuck about these characters and like all of these things like that's kind of it you know it feels like that era of science fiction like that's kind of what it's about it's about like it's just world building just a ton of world building and then characters uh, that are like yeah whatever you know um and it, so to see him do this movie <clears throat> which is again an IP title but like uh. To see him understand the source material so much, because it feels authentically Blade Runner, and then to make a movie where I instantly cared about the characters and I instantly wanted to know more about everything, and I was, I was like, oh, okay, so it's not at all this director; it's just the uh, I connected to Blade Runner a whole lot more than I connected to Dune, you know. And we'll see, Dune Part Two coming. Maybe Dune Part Two will uh, be the answer, but we'll have to see um blade runner 2049 i gave it four stars i watched it on blu-ray um yeah what a blast watch it i mean i i for for a science fiction movie it's great and jared leto just wonderfully perfectly cast as some kind of fucking pervert uh for sure uh (laughs) absolutely uh on valentine's day i watched two movies Uh, I did. I went to the store again because I specifically asked my girlfriend the night before. I said, it's Valentine's Day. I need you to pick a movie for me to watch. And she said, well, it's Valentine's Day, so it has to be something romantic. And I said, why do you think I would ask this question if I wasn't expecting something romantic? And she said, okay. And she thought about it for a while. She said, you've seen Titanic. I was like, yeah, I've seen Titanic. Of course. And she. And she suggested this movie Me Before You, which wasn't streaming anywhere. And so I said, maybe I will go to the DVD store and the DVD store will have a copy of it on DVD. Perhaps we will see. Um, and while I was there, I picked up a Blu-ray copy of Dracula Dead and Loving It, um, which I had heard was not going to be what I wanted it to be. Um Dracula Dead and Loving It is a collaboration between Mel Brooks and Leslie Nielsen. So on paper, I'm like, "Bro, sign me the fuck up." And it's a a a parody of of Dracula movies. Leslie Nielsen plays Dracula. What more could you ask for? This is like guaranteed gutbuster for sure. I didn't laugh a single time watching this movie. Uh, I found it dreadfully unfunny. I feel like Mel Brooks and Leslie Nelson just didn't show up to work. Uh, I didn't think like not a single joke in the whole movie that I thought was like worth even laughing at. It wasn't even like there were a handful of things that I watch people watch that they swear are funny and I've never seen them laugh at it, you know. Like they just watch it and they're like, this is funny and it makes them feel good and that's good enough, you know, but like they don't laugh at it. But it it didn't even give me that, you know, as a comedy movie. It was, it was, I, it was just boring and none of it landed. And I was so hurt and confused by the fact that this was the case. Um, Yeah. I, one star. It's a bad movie. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. And it, what hurts the most is that like it shouldn't be. It ought to be fucking awesome with those those two at the helm. Like just the if you're gonna bring those two people together to work on a movie, have the script rule, you know? Because uh, otherwise, you're selling it on the fact that it's gonna be hilarious because they're both involved, and then it's just not. Um, the funniest thing about the movie is the title which is just ridiculous dracula dead and loving it um so what (laughs) you know um yeah i loved that uh but uh but the rest of the movie sadly did nothing for me and i'm really i'm hurt by it um But the movie she wanted me to watch, Me Before You, uh, I did manage to get a DVD of. uh, Pulled it right off the shelf and went, I knew it. I friggin' knew it, bud. And it was like $3. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so I took it home and I started watching it on. I started watching it on Valentine's Day. It's worth noting. It only got logged on the 15th because uh, it went past midnight. But I started watching it on Valentine's Day. Uh, to summarize the movie without spoiling it, a uh, a woman is hired as a caretaker. A woman, a Game of Thrones woman, is hired as a caretaker for, I believe, a Game of Thrones guy. Uh, but this is uh, modern day. It's just they're both actors on Game of Thrones. Uh, she's hired as a caretaker for this guy who has a a uh, serious injury that makes a living uh, not a not a fun time for him a uh, bit of a Florence Nightingale situation goes on love ensues uh but the man has to sort of grapple with the decision of staying around in this uh, awful debilitated painful state for years and years and years or uh, basically uh, uh doctor assisted suicide uh is his other choice um and uh they both sort of uh struggle with uh the decisions and the fallout uh, surrounding uh, all of that very uh, sort of interesting premise for a film the letterboxed people freaking out about this movie being ableist i'm not one to sort of uh uh see that sort of thing in things and I'm certainly not the one to be the judge of that as an able-bodied person I didn't perceive that being the case in the film at all um if anything I felt like it kind of stood against that in the in the sort of final moments um of the film and sort of showed the error of that uh thinking So, but I don't know as everybody knows on this uh, show if you don't know and you're new to the show uh, the rating system is very simple one star is a bad movie two stars an okay movie three stars a good movie four stars a great movie five stars uh, an incredible movie a transcendent film a film everybody needs to see however there's one specific rule and that's that if a a movie manages to emotionally compromise me at any point during its run time and uh make it so I got to get her a fight to keep it together um in watching the movie that's an instant five star for me uh it gets an instant five star because uh just to be uh to be moved to that degree by a uh, a movie, a silly dumb fake movie uh is uh enough for me to say that there's something here sort of magical going on, and so it gets an instant five star if that happens, and this movie got a five stars <laughs> from me uh I won't say on a technicality, you know, I feel like that's unfair because the movie it did manage to uh to emotionally connect with me. Uh, and that's something not a lot of films are capable of doing. So uh, it's a five star on that, you know? Um, but you know, I won't say that the movie was perfect. I just, uh, I thought it was, uh, adorable. And then, uh, really right near the end, just one line slipped in there. And I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Five stars. Uh, for <laughs> me before you, where you can watch it, get a DVD, rent it on youtube or whatever you can if you want to i thought it was good i thought it was sweet thought it was lovely i thought it was a good suggestion from my baby the next movie that i watched on the on the technically on the 15th i did like a bunch of traveling that day and then in the evening i was able to watch next goal wins which is uh i assume the latest film from taika It's a Hulu exclusive, which quite frankly is where it fucking belongs. I am beside myself with having witnessed seemingly the rise and fall of Taika Waititi. It blows my mind. He seemed poised to be like the next big thing. And I, he kind of was for a minute there. And it's it there wasn't like a sex scandal. He didn't get canceled. He just kind of started making bad movies. And, you know, there's probably something going on behind the scenes of him. Just not being able to focus enough on creating good stuff, but like, he was riding high on top of the world. He put out that Thor movie that everybody loved, me included. He put out Jojo Rabbit, everybody fucking loved Jojo Rabbit. I mean, I liked What We Do in the Shadows before he did any of that stuff. I thought that movie was really funny. You know, Eagle and Eagle versus Shark was fun. Um Yeah, I mean like and then all of a sudden it's like Thor Love and Thunder comes out and people are like Someone bad it just the vibe was off, you know, it just didn't really feel right. And then he puts out. God, I feel like he put out something else, too, that people were just like, yeah, I don't know if he's got it anymore. And then he puts out this movie. And this movie just feels like it completely has nothing worth saying. It feels like a television movie. It doesn't. The it, I wouldn't have even suspected that he directed it if he didn't appear as like a narrator character in the first like three minutes. It doesn't really make sense that he does either. Basically. So this is a coach movie and not a particularly good one. Uh, A a coach movie, a a sports movie that focuses on a a coach who's been disgraced for some reason, who is sent to uh, deal with this team that nobody wants and brings them together. But you've seen this movie literally a hundred times. Sometimes they're good. Mighty Ducks, Cool Runnings, Um, Hardball, I think you could argue. Uh, Most of the time, they're fucking dumb and bad. And at the very least, it's so, you know, people make fun of musical biopics for being formulaic, and they certainly can be. There is no movie more formulaic. Than the fucking coach movie. And never mind, you know, and this one was based on a true story, even, and it's still just like, dude, what the fuck? Who cares? You know, it's this, especially with this one, which felt like, you know, he gets sent to <clears throat> uh, uh, an island, he gets sent to uh, American Samoa. And American Samoa has the worst soccer team in the league. And he's sent to sort of deal with him this like uh a disgraced uh, white guy who's uh, <laughs> um, uh the, his entire disgracement comes from him being just like a dick after his daughter died. You find out later, which is kind of like, give the guy a break. Fuck. Um, but he gets sent to American Samoa. He's immediately very, like, sort of Clint Eastwood, uh, racistly judging everybody but not saying anything. Um, kind of Gran Torino y about the whole thing. And, um, then Gran Torino, maybe I should watch Gran Torino. People said that movie was pretty good, right? I don't know. It's tough. It's tough being like, uh, Clint Eastwood in, <laughs> in 2024. But, um, you know, the worst part about this movie is the problem that I have with every coach movie. What I love so much about The Goon was that The Goon easily could have been a coach movie. And it, you know, it almost feels like a coach movie. But instead, the cameras pointed at the most interesting player in the story and That's what made it feel great. And this movie had legitimately in it like the first openly transgender player in soccer at that level is a character in the movie. Uh, She's one of the players on the team. And it's like, why is this movie not about that character? You know, and the character gets ample screen time or whatever, but like, why am I sitting here giving a shit about this, like, pissed off white dude when a, a, you know, this openly transgender Samoan soccer player, like, that's the interesting story here. Um, Instead, it's all framed around this white guy who's like the least important part of this whole thing because he's the coach it just it feels like it was a decision that was made because it was easy um and it's so reverent to the formula that i it, it's and so autopilot that it's like why did takia watsuki feel like this movie need to be needed to be made why isn't there more of his flavor here and there kind of is in people's like line deliveries like everyone has very takia watiti line deliveries in the movie but outside of that it feels like it could have been directed by anyone um and it, i just yeah i was so over the character immediately of just like yep pissed off disgrace coach white guy character coming to be the center of the film, even though he's the least interesting character. Uh, it's wild, man. I, I, I please, you know, make less movies like this. We've already seen this movie done as good as you're gonna make it ever. So uh, make less movies like this. This movie got two stars for me. I, I am waiting for. Either the news to drop that some shit's been going on in Takia Watiti's life that's just like is going to be like oh okay yeah that's why he's like that's why these movies have been like weirdly phoned in or whatever is because he's been dealing with this other stuff or for him to just like wake the fuck up and make a good movie again. Um, I mean it's not as bad as it. it, it, I, it it's not like a Kevin Smith level of like dude where's your fucking head at. Um, but it's a it's been shockingly um. Uh, a shocking uh, fall from grace to witness. I think in general from him moving on, Maggie Moores was the next movie that I watched. It's Maggie Moores. And then the S is in parentheses. This was also a Hulu exclusive. I was on Hulu and I was like, let's watch some Hulu movies. And I'd been interested in this Maggie Moores uh, thing. It seemed like kind of a Coen brothers uh, knockoff, uh, admittedly, Uh, but with John Hamm. And I love me some John Ham so I was down to watch it John Ham and Tina Fey in this movie um a blast uh this movie it felt like a TV movie admittedly I give it three stars because it's good uh, I think good not great um but if you like John Ham like I do you enjoy you are at least a casual level Tina Fey enjoyer the way that I am um, and you like a, a murder mystery situation. Um, and sort of like a tangled web deal. Um, this one's based somewhat on a true story, at least, um, this one's fun, you know, watching movies on Hulu is terrible. Hulu is one of the ones that needs to go, uh, along with Paramount plus, um, and I don't understand why uh, i mean i do understand why they're still there the other companies have not had their opportunity to sell everything to disney yet but you know i'm i i i found the process of watching a movie in here not as terrible as the next service that we'll talk about and not as terrible as paramount plus but maybe just one step above that um and on top of that they have a trash catalog too uh hulu they really have nothing but this movie seemed interesting and seemed cool, and I had a good time with it. Um, it the turns, uh, the twists and turns that it took, I thought were were interesting and funny and unexpected. Again, it's our Coen Brothers, and um, that's very clearly what they were going for. But then on top of that, it's got a. Uh, John Hamm in it, who I find endlessly uh, charming and I think was a good actor and I think uh, had some really sort of like well-written conflicts to have with uh, the other characters that were there. And I enjoyed my time with Maggie Moore's. I think I watched it straight through. So um, without uh, pausing to go and do something else, I just I wanted to get to the end. I wanted to see all the pieces fall into place and it did. And I, and I enjoyed my time with it. It wasn't uh profound or anything. I'm, I'm not asking people to rush to Hulu to go and watch Maggie Morris, but, uh, I thought it was good. Uh, if you're into, uh, that sort of a uh, twisty, uh, narrative mystery thing. Um, yeah, I really don't have much more to say about it other than, uh, and that I thought they had a particularly funny uh, running gag. They had a character in the movie who just uh, undercut with humor at like the wrong times. It seemed like almost a statement on the Marvel formula, where like uh, John Hamm's character would talk about something awful and tragic that happened in this case, and then the, the his uh sidekick character would like make a joke about it or say it in a weird way to try and elicit a laugh and John Ham would be like this is a person dude this is like a real life person and they're fucking dead can you focus up for the love of god like i can't take the the whiplash here but like we're we're there a person a person has died um and i thought that was, that was every time it happened in the movie i was like that's great that's such a fun comment on like the way movies are made now in the wake of that that marvel formula which works for marvel because of the universe that they're in for the most part i'm not gonna say that i haven't enjoyed me a movie that has that sort of tonal whiplash thing going on but uh in this case i thought it was a very very uh well executed to kind of dog on that when they did but the next movie that I watched, which I watched the same night was uh Clueless. I'd never seen Clueless. The classic 1995 movie Clueless. Starring uh Faison and Rudd. I mean that those were the 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 cool parts to see for me was uh young Donald Faison, young Paul Rudd. Um or same age Paul Rudd, who knows. Uh acting uh, acting in this movie was funny for me to see I, I I don't think that this movie has aged well at all um you know it was cool to see young boss too the boss were in the movie which for me I was like hell yeah although they're very clearly playing to a track um <clears throat> and uh it's not really a comment on how the movie's played of course they would be playing to a track it's more a comment on their specific performances they don't look comfortable Performing to the track, and the people in the crowd don't look like they're dancing to the song that they're supposedly hearing in the room. But enough commenting on that specific uh scene. Uh the movie itself, you know, and I got kind of flack for it because I, I I went on Instagram and I was like, dude, fucking two stars for this movie. It's okay. Uh and I got, you know, people got at me about it. And I was like, you know uh there's no fucking plot to this movie nothing happens in this movie nothing really fucking happens that's what bothers me um if if you were like hey describe the plot of clueless to me people would be like um a teenage girl uh uh fumbles around until she eventually questions uh you know what uh what's really important in life and then she uh fucks her stepbrother at the end you know uh pretty simple and i get it you know if paul rudd was my stepbrother no uh, <laughs> but, you know i like i'm and i you know the big defense on it is that it's jane austen's fault it's like oh it's emma it's just an adaption of emma so if you feel like the movie has no plot it's because an, uh, uh emma has no plot and uh that's fair i mean i don't but if that's the case, I mean, they chose to adapt Emma. They didn't have to do that. They just did, you know? And so I re- I, it really didn't work for me. I feel like this movie like crawled very slowly so that Mean Girls could run. Um, I feel like everything that this movie does, that movie does way better. With the exception of this movie, like having that like very nineties experience thing to it. It's very, you know, a lot of it is vibes. It's like we're just trying to feel the vibes. We're not so concerned about stuff happening or uh your time being valued, but we're just vibing here. And you know, fair enough. Okay. Whatever. But uh for me, I uh was bored through most of the movie, waiting wondering when the story was going to start and then it just kind of never did um it's just like a bunch of stuff happened but nothing that i could consider like a narrative through path for me anyway maybe i'm just uh stupid anyway i watched it on youtube um as they're free with ads thing. And I was like, Oh, I'll give this a trial will be good for the show. I don't know how many people have, you know, I like movies. I've never watched a movie that way. I've always seen it and been like, I don't want to do that. That seems weird. I've certainly bought movies on YouTube and watched them through YouTube, but I've never done the like free with ads thing. And I did it. I don't recommend uh, at all. I think <laughs> I think if you can watch a movie any other way, I would suggest that you do. But um, but yeah, two stars for Clueless. Moving on, I I went the next night, Saturday night, and I watched Bob Marley One Love in the theater. I've been this movie I've been waiting for since The Beekeeper for sure. Which, God, the beekeeper ruled. Uh, But that was like the next movie that I was going to go and see. I did, you know, I went back and I watched Lisa Frankenstein and stuff like that. I did go to the theaters for that. But when I left the beekeeper, I was like, one month. That'll be the next time that I go to the theater because I'm excited to see this movie. I love musical biopics. I'm a sucker for a musical biopic. I they get dogged on for the formula. I like the formula. I like what they are for the most part. There have been times that I have been deeply offended by them. There've been ones I specifically didn't like very much. Um, that what the only thing that really throws me off a musical biopic is when they completely just make shit up and lie about stuff that happened. Um, to a degree that's rather egregious. The queen one fucking Bohemian Rhapsody is the biggest fucking offender on this list for that. Um, and it sucks cause I love the vibe of that movie. I love Freddie Mercury. To a degree that words cannot express, <laughs> but I know that story and I watched the third act of Bohemian Rhapsody through my fingers as like a horror show because I'm sitting there going like not only did none of this happen the actual story that did happen is so much better than this story that they made up about a man who is not here to defend himself um, this movie From what I can tell from the research that I have done, which is not a small amount of research, did a lot of things right, and I don't think that it's getting the credit that it deserves for doing the things right. First of all, for the most part, it's true. Did they shy away from some of the darker aspects of his character? Yeah, sure. It's, you know, superhero presentation. And I've said this for a long time. Musical biopics are superhero movies where the superpower is music. and music is a magic it's like the force it flows through all of us and uh but through some individuals they can manipulate it and it makes this magic it's uh, it's it's superheroes and so biopics often sort of there's there's kind of two ways a biopic can go either they lay hard into the rough edges and they spend the entire movie like fucking walk the line where you're like is this a movie about a musician or is this a movie about a fucking like drug addict <laughs> basically like it seems to be all they're talking about in this whole movie is that he um drinks too much and and is a fucking mess and like that can be part of the movie it can't you know you make it the whole movie then it's like why did it, why do i even come here I, you know why do i give a shit about Johnny Cash, I've forgotten that this man also made incredible music because you're not talking about it in the whole movie. This movie, I think, has gotten flack for like feeling kind of episodic, but it actually covers, I think, the span of time in Bob Marley's life that needs to be covered the most and the one that makes the most sense from the assassination attempt before the first peace concert in Jamaica, him leaving Jamaica, making Exodus, becoming a global superstar and then returning to Jamaica to have the second peace concert. I feel like that's absolutely the right choice. Um, the movie is littered with specific, um, wonderful references for people who have done enough research to know if you've watched the 2012 Marley documentary, if you've done a ton of research on Bob Marley as a person, like, Studio One is featured, Cox and Dodd is featured, like all of these things, like are featured as roles in the movie. I, it, it's um, and the amount of world building, set dressing that like isn't addressed—that's just there for people who actually know the story—is like, uh, chef's kiss. It's fucking amazing, and then on top of that, they absolutely nail the the setting feel of seventies Jamaica Um, having watched, uh, you know, if you've watched the harder they come or whatever, like this movie is going to feel like it takes place in that world, Um, which is amazing. And, and Rita's involved in it. Ziggy's involved in it. I think maybe Steven's involved in it. And so it does have that sort of it's managed by the estate feel to it. Um, But, I wouldn't I can't wait to get the disc for this and watch this sort of making up to see how many of these locations are just the real locations I'd be fascinated to know if the house that they use is the actual Marley house if they actually shot in Jamaica um if the studio one that we see is actual studio one uh it would be fascinating to me to find that out. And I guess maybe if I went and watched the harder they come again, I could see that it's actual studio one (laughs) because there were scenes in that movie that I think take place in studio one or I could just look it up. I'm sure the internet has a breakdown already, but I, so it was really cool to see that stuff. Does it present sort of like a superhero version of Bob Marley? Sure. Um, If I have a gripe about the movie, (laughs) the vocals in the movie are not from the lead actor in the movie. Um, They're Bob's vocals, which is, that's fine. That's great. Honestly um there are movies i wish would do more of that sometimes they have the actor sing and it's like i don't really know that i want to hear that as much as i just want to hear like when he sings just have it be the character's singing voice which we have all of this isolated vocal tracks by the character you know so like do that but i when he sings in the movie Because maybe it's because of how familiar I am with Bob's voice or if it's something in his performance, I'm not sure. But something about it immediately, I'm like, he's not singing. He's to track right now. And I didn't even know that's what they were going to do going in. But immediately, it just didn't feel like the voice was coming out of his body, which is. Broke me every uh, broke me of the illusion every time that it happened which sucks, but the vocals are great. And I, I will say, if I could make one gripe about this movie, it's like an hour and 44 minutes long. I would have preferred that it was two hours and that music happens, uh, that there was more live performance in it. And hopefully there's like a longer cut of this somewhere that includes a little more just like, sweet little treats for people who know the story and then just more musical performance. Cause I felt like every time we got up to the point where he was going to perform a song, we would like cut and, and go back to a bunch of people talking in a room or whatever, which is kind of like, dude, I am here to fucking See the story, enjoy the story, learn about Bob Marley, but also kind of hear just a vibe to Bob Marley music. And uh, you're not letting me do it. Every time that we get to the point where it seems like you're going to let me do that, we're not really doing that. And it's just an opportunity for you to like kick off a montage and play only like two thirds of this song and then go back into a talking segment. I don't know that I need this much of a breakneck pace. For a movie about Bob Marley that doesn't even really cover his whole life, I'd like to see a two-hour cut of this movie. I'd be okay with a a two-and-a-half-hour cut of this movie um, just to spend more time with Bob Marley. But I don't know if that exists. I don't know if we'll ever see it. Um, I think a biopic like this uh, is a movie that I, I give absolute... I'm surprised that it's this short. I give absolute credence to be like, you know, Elvis being 220 or whatever, that's fine, you know? And I think the movie's getting dogged on kind of unfairly that people, I think people were expecting it to be this wonderful, profound thing in the way that like Bob Marley, as you listen to Bob Marley, you're like, wow, he's like an angel or a prophet or something. And I, I don't know that you could make a movie that feels that way. Talking about his life, and, and and again, they like they sort of didn't talk about a bunch of the stuff that he did that was, like is not, not terribly savory. So like they tried to make it more angelic, and more inspirational, and uh. And it still doesn't feel the way that you feel when you hear Bob Marley. He's amazing. His music is so incredible. Maybe the you know he's. Uh, If any, if anybody was ever like a songwriter who was just touched by divinity, um, who was spoken to directly by God or whatever, I'd be like, yeah, if it, if it came out that Bob Marley was legitimately like handed songs from God, it would be like, I believe it, dude. Some of those songs are so good. And it's funny. My friend was like, uh, Hey, does he smoke weed in the movie? And I'm like, yeah, he's Rastafarian. It's like a, I mean, it's like a religious sacrament for him. So like they don't really make a big deal about it, which I think is great. They don't make a big deal about drug use at all in the movie. He's constantly smoking weed. There is literally weed smoking in every scene, but the movie isn't about him weed smoking and the weed smoking never becomes a focus of the movie. The music is always the focus of the movie. There is a small point where him sort of selling out his ideals and becoming a handshaker more than a uh, a musician uh, is brought up and becomes the focus for a minute, um, but at, like that's the furthest that it strays from like the music being the focus, the music being the wonderful thing. Um, you know, he'll have PTSD about uh, assassination attempts and stuff like that, but it comes back to the music all the time. It doesn't focus on use. It's not a movie about a guy who gets horribly addicted to drugs or whatever, even though, you know, he's like a daily user of marijuana, at least, you know, um, and it is constantly shown. He's constantly lighting up. He's constantly smoking, but it's not a movie about how that destroyed him or whatever, you know, like it's not like, it's just, present, which I think is so perfectly uh, indicative of the way that he as a person felt about marijuana, about his culture, felt about marijuana. And um, it was really, really nice to see that it wasn't treated as a cautionary tale for weed smoking, Um, you know, nor were they all sitting around like it's not a stoner comedy either. You know what I mean? They're not sitting around being like, Oh, you know, this song is about when I get the munchies or whatever, you know, like it's not, they're not doing that. They don't give a shit Uh, about a sort of like low hanging offensive uh, fruit like that. It's not done in like this cringy novel white guy sort of way. It's just, you know, this is a smoking weed is a, A huge part of their life. It's just every day, you know. That being said, do I think this movie is where somebody should start if they know nothing about Bob Marley? Probably not. You should probably watch the Marley documentary from 2012. I'm really shocked that Paramount at least didn't pick this movie up and put it on their service. It's a Paramount movie um, in theaters. And I'm shocked that this wasn't, that the 2012 Marley documentary wasn't all over Paramount Plus. Uh, to help promote this movie, being like, "Hey, here's the documentary version of of this movie that we're doing," but maybe they felt as though there would be confusion. Instead, like I had to, I went to eBay to buy like a Blu-ray of this movie because I was like, "Oh, I don't have uh, Marley the documentary. I should go and try and find a copy of it." And the only thing that I could do was like, I mean, it's probably on YouTube at this point, um. But I wanted to get a copy um, in, and so I went and I went and got a copy in. But uh, the last movie that I watched, yeah, so I phew, elephant in the room, we got to talk about Runaway Train. Okay, it came up last week on the wheel, and uh, I went to go and watch it last night on Sunday night, and I searched and searched and searched on Tubi for Runaway Train, and it was gone i couldn't find it missing nowhere to be found so i uh instead consulted my pile of shame i have a big collection of dvds of blu-rays of 4ks and set aside in that collection is a pile of movies that i have bought but never seen never watched and it's a pile of shame and quite a bit I during this challenge I've pulled out movies from that pile of shame and when I buy movies at the store that I haven't seen before they immediately go in the pile and I can kind of pick from there which is nice and was something I was doing before just to sort of keep myself accountable for movies that I was buying that I had never watched you know and so I uh had initially put away a Blu-ray copy of The Harder They Come because I'd seen The Harder They Come and I was not keeping The Harder They Come in the pile of uh, movies that I had not seen until I realized the Shout Factory, this is the Shout Select Shout Factory collector's edition of um, The Harder They Come, comes with the next movie that was made by that guy, uh, Perry Hensel or whatever his name is, the director. That was he made it, he put it out, assumedly in Jamaica, and then the tapes for it were lost for years from the nineteen seventies when he shot it to two thousand and six. For those that don't know the harder they come is a movie starring reggae superstar Jimmy Cliff uh it's a fucking amazing movie if you've never seen it. it's so funny. No, no the soundtrack is killer. Uh, which is what it's famous for, is that the soundtrack is fucking killer. It's a lot like um, Shaft or Superfly in that way, where um, the soundtrack is the amazing part. Um, but the Heart of They Come is specifically very interesting because it's shot in 1970s Jamaica, which is just such a fucking vibe to be in. And then uh the movie's like a musical bio like a fictionalized musical biopic for a fictionalized version of Jimmy Cliff. Uh and the character that Jimmy Cliff plays gets halfway through the movie in this musical biopic he gets so frustrated with everyone fucking him around uh the record label and the police and and whatever that he goes and gets a gun and then goes on a killing rampage uh and it immediately turns from like uh <laughs> uh From a musical biopic to a, a- like a a killing rampage movie uh like crime movie uh and it's kind of amazing that it just takes that turn and it, when you least expect it's fucking unhinged to shit and I love it um it's a fucking great movie, but so on the disc for it there was a uh, there was an extra disc included, and that extra disc included had his next film, which was this lost film which was also shot in 1970s Jamaica like he finished making the harder they come and then he was like let me just shoot this other thing the script is pretty bare bones basically the movie what I got from it anyway (laughs) this like late 30s maybe early 40s white woman goes to Jamaica with a team of uh, people from her ad agency they're shooting some commercials for various products. While she's there, she keeps a video log. And most of the movie is her video log. It's her. She's come from New York. She's keeping a video log of her time in Jamaica. And a lot of the movie is sort of told non-linearly. It's really fucking cool to watch for that reason because it really feels like you're watching somebody's vacation vlog, you know? Um, And she doesn't really like... It's not a vlog in the sense that we're sort of used to now. Like she doesn't really address the camera all that much, but it just feels like all the time we're sort of watching experiences that she had. We're getting to talk to people that she talked to or whatever. It's like a really kept video, really well-kept video log that you're watching from this woman in New York. And you don't really know why you're watching it. Eventually during the video log, one of their models disappears uh, and to my knowledge this is just sort of never addressed again maybe i'd have to watch the movie again maybe i missed something but they never find the girl but she goes off looking for this girl who's disappeared and uh she takes their like a guide for the island with her they go off looking for this guy this girl who's disappeared while they're out looking for her uh He kind of just, you know, kind of shows her around the island. They start relaxing a bit more. She kind of opens up about how distant her husband back in New York is, how he doesn't really seem uh, to care. They end up making love several times um, as she sort of meets people around Jamaica or something asking about this girl. And it's not really a mystery because the girl kind of runs off of her own volition. And their feeling is that she probably is just like, fuck this. Shoot, I want to stay in Jamaica for a while and just, you know, see where it takes me. I think is how they're feeling about it. And by the end of the movie, the sort of middle aged woman is kind of feeling this way too, but she has enough riding on it that she ends up going back to New York. And then we find out the reason why we're watching this movie is we've, uh, this vlog is we're actually watching it along with her because she's found this tape eight years later in New York and it prompts her to sort of call up the guide. Um, and she can't get a hold of the guide because the guide is now sort of like in charge of this massive hotel in Jamaica and is gone from being this like um fucking dirty townie that they hired to, to like take him around town to like this uh, you know, uh ridiculous, opulent superstar hotel owner, basically. Um and she sort of she sits there sort of watching the movie and all wistful about it. And again, it's it's all beautiful shots of 1970s Jamaica. And I particularly appreciated... <laughs> so the movie... Everybody's speaking in a thick Jamaican accent. Some of the Jamaican accents are so thick in this movie that Shout Factory went ahead and they have at the top of the screen... Subtitles for what's actually being said, and then at the bottom of the s- screen, they have subtitles for like <laughs> uh simplified like uh, without the slang like at the bottom of the it's like a translation of what this person is saying because even once they translate the Jamaican, there's so much slang and weird grammar things in Jamaican in the Jamaican dialect that down at the bottom of the screen, they just translate it into like. More legible English for everybody, <laughs> which I thought was very funny um, yeah I, I she at the end of the movie ends up uh you know kind of wishing maybe that she had just stayed in Jamaica um is kind of the vibe that you get from it it's it seems very autobiographical in a way, you know it seems like uh the director talking about coming to Jamaica and making these two movies and feeling like maybe I, maybe I don't want to go, you know, the P and it's a celebration of his sort of experiences in Jamaica in a big way. I think it's really cool. And, uh, I was happy to watch it. Even if for most of it, I was like, what, what is the point of all this? They kind of brought it around at the end, which was really cool. um, But that was the last movie that I watched. We're up to 72 movies as of uh, 2019, 2024. I'm going to watch another one tonight. It's going to be great. As for picking the best, did I like Bob Marley One Love more than Lisa Frankenstein? Yeah. I mean, Lisa Frankenstein was a four star. Bob Marley One Love uh, that I watched at the Cinemagic was uh, maybe my favorite movie that I've seen this year. It would have been difficult. I uh, not saying they couldn't have done it, but it would have been difficult for this movie to have not been right over the plate for me, but they did enough for me in both the little ways and the big ways that I, I really enjoyed this movie. I think it's fucking fantastic. Um, and it's my three sixty six champ as of right now, new champ this week, Bob Marley, one love. I'm hoping that we find something this next week that, uh, Knocks it out of position immediately. Um, But I really, really like the movie. And uh, it was the best of the week and the best so far that that I've seen this year, I think. So that's exciting. We're going to spin the wheel. And hopefully... So the point I wanted to make, Runaway Train wasn't there this week. In the future when that happens... Because I checked to make sure Runaway Train was there when we spun the wheel. Because I was like, I'm worried that this is isn't here anymore. It was added to the list a long time ago. And then between then, because it was there, between then and when I got around to wanting to watch the movie last night, it had been taken off of the service. In the event that that happens, I'm just going to watch something else. I'm not going to try and pick something else from the wheel at a moment's notice. I'm just going to watch a different movie and pretend like we never picked anything from the wheel. That is the modus operandi moving forward. In order to replace Runaway Train, which we can no longer watch on the list, where I have replaced it with a movie as I do every week, uh, based on basically the wildest title that I can find on Tubi. Uh, And this one is a horror movie from, I believe, the 2000s, if not the 2010s, called Don't Fuck in the Woods. Uh, And I was immediately grabbed by this title. And uh, I hope uh, that uh, that we can maybe, maybe have the wheel land on this. But So the wheel picks right now are Death Sport, We Are the Flesh, Do the Right Thing, Queen and Slim, Bitch Slap, How to Plan an Orgy in a Small Town, Nude Nuns with Big Guns, Don't Fuck in the Woods, Forbidden Planet, and The Sisters Brothers. I'm looking forward to spinning this wheel. I'm looking forward to finding out what the Wheel of Tubi movie is this week. I hope that it doesn't disappear on us before we get to watch it. But there's only so much you can do. So we're going to spin the wheel now. We're going to find out what we're watching this week. Hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I'm so excited. This week... Our Tubi movie of the week, Nude Nuns with Big Guns. Ah, man, I could not be more excited to get into this movie. I can't wait. It promises so many wonderful things. Nudity, nuns, big guns, you know, all going to be present. And uh, man, what a week it's going to be oh man i don't have anything else for the show if you're looking for links to everything letterboxed, instagram all of the ways that you can follow along with this challenge uh where you know uh the links they're all in the description it's all there go and check it out thank you so much for joining me if you join me every week if this is your first week it's so important to me to keep this log it's so important to me that you listen uh And uh, I enjoy our time together every single week. But I'm going to get out of here. I'll be back next week. Until then, sin every day.